We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to World of His Overtime and World of His Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire and OneBet. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Sean, we did our recap show on Monday or late Sunday, your time, where we talked through the majority of the games. We're going to talk through some more of them on today's show, and we're going to dive into some interesting numbers to, to mix that up and see what our takeaways are from those games that you know maybe we can still at this point of the season it's interesting sean when you even look back i know a few weeks ago we talked about rashad penny at certain points of the season and how he came on down the stretch there's certain players at the moment which feel like they are in that potential point of absolutely breaking out to become those league winners in 2022 so we'll be trying to find those guys as we talk through these shows and pick up on those data points but looking forward to talking through this one and then obviously we'll have our show again later in the week we're still hitting those three episodes a week sean but as we start off here on the second show of the week we had sunday night football monday night football so we have lots to talk about how did the week finish up for you i had a couple of uh, games and we'll talk about monday night football but that dallas goddard fumble really really did hurt I, I lost three separate games sean this week by less than two points with that dallas goddard fumble so monday night football came down to a crushing blow at the end that's rough because there were some other frustrations that we'll get to we mentioned the jerry judy injury on the recap but colin the big news from this week really is that we lose another megastar from the season the first two rounds this year have been so potent the stars have more or less all come out to play and more or less no one else so that's been the main theme of the 2022 season you had to get those points from your big time stars you had to hit in that range cooper cup Definitely a guy who was hitting. He's been backing up his ridiculous 2021 performance in a way that you could argue is even more impressive because the context of the Los Angeles Rams offense has changed so significantly. For him to go down in that game against the Arizona Cardinals and now for all of those fantasy managers to be looking at that hole in their lineup, you go from being... A favorite, especially if you have paired Cup with some of the other hits coming back through. For example, if you have a Cup 
Tyreek Hill team, you're very, very excited about how the season's going, especially if you hit on some of the zero RB guys that we recommended. Maybe you took a Travis Etienne in the dead zone, but then selected the zero RB player like Ken Walker. Obviously, if you have a Ramondre Stevenson, a Tony Pollard, you're just very, very excited. You lose cup and a lot of that enthusiasm goes away. That's one of the very hard parts of fantasy football. This injury here in many ways, similar to the Derrick Henry injury a season ago, where when you have the best player at a position having a peak season and then losing him. Many of the reports are that cup has avoided a worst case scenario, but as I mentioned in my article, really anything other than a best case scenario is going to be pretty traumatic for fantasy managers. Yeah. As we, as we started to record this one, Sean, I, I did see that he will have a surgery tomorrow and go on IR. There's some slight hopes that he'll be back before the end of the NFL season. You know, the Rams have a slim chance still of making the playoffs, but fantasy wise, it, it feels like this is really the, the end of the season for him. Sean, with that injury, and we will talk a little bit here about the Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams game over the weekend, but I do want to make an opportunity for you, obviously as part of the article that you did this week, but you talked about Cooper Cup and what he has done over the last couple of years in the NFL, and he has been just on a historic pace. What he did, I know last year we had some fun talking about should he be the NFL MVP over Aaron Rodgers, I know we talked about Patrick Mahomes on the latest show as well, that he could have potentially been there, but that's how good Cooper Cup has been, that he was in the, the contention along with quarterbacks to be the most valuable player in the entire NFL. So we are going to have a one bet stat of the week, and it is going to be Cooper Cup. That is a spoiler alert, but just want to let you know that you can sign up at WinBet to receive a special sports offer. You can bet $100, win $100, download the WinBet app now, or visit wynnbet.com. Cooper Cup, Sean, I think it's something that even though the injury has happened, I think it is right to celebrate and appreciate if this is the end of a season. The historic run he has been on, hopefully he can recover and and have that continue in 2023, for example. But this is uh, one of the all-time stretches of wide receiver play that we've ever seen. It really is. And you pull up his fantasy stats from the beginning of 2021 through week nine of 2022 so that's going into the game where he gets a back a quarterback and suffers an injury 25.6 points per game you have that up in his nfl player stat explorer page at root of his and it's just this solid wall of green during that stretch only three games that weren't of the wide receiver one variety three of those were wide receiver two performances to give a sense of like just how crazy that is. And that's what you have to do, obviously, to average 25.6 points a game. But just to give a little bit of context, I just pulled up the Mike Evans page. And Evans, someone who is in the stretch of 1,000-yard seasons, most people believe he's going to be an easy Hall of Fame entrant. He's someone who was drafted in the mid to late second round this season. Over that same stretch of games, he's at 29% wide receiver one finishes 29 percent for mike evans he's at 42 percent for wide receiver three or worse finishes i mean that's how just extraordinary this 84 percent just for anyone who didn't catch number 84 percent for cooper cup it's it's truly mind-boggling i mean i what's mind-boggling is the not just the, the high level of scoring we see players with high levels of scoring but it's the consistency on a game by game basis to continue to put up those 
20 plus point games is what's so incredible. And you, you think of last year, obviously after the first half of the season, the defense knows what's coming. You think about after the regular season, when you go into the playoffs and you're trying to defeat the Rams and the Rams for everything that's going on this year, I mean, they won the Super Bowl last year. Every team they played knew what was coming, couldn't stop it. You come out this season and the Rams fall apart and the defense knows what what's coming and they can't stop it. So if you look at his regular season performance, that almost understates still what he did. Pull up the road of his screener. You include those playoff games. You look at his stretch there and compare it to some of the other guys. So we talk about his comparison to Mike Evans on wide receiver one finishes, give a little bit of context. During this stretch here, Devontae Adams just finished having the best combined age 28 to 29 seasons. The century beats out guys like Marvin Harrison and Terrell Owens. So no small feat. You have Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Jefferson, the best first two years in NFL history. And now going on to an epic third season as well. You have Jamar Chase, who had that historic rookie season. You have Tyreek Hill, who got to catch passes from Patrick Mahomes. Now he's on to finally has a little bit of a, a down game in week 10 with those first nine games, just the hottest of hot starts. You have Stefan Diggs, who is the new Antonio Brown, who's having a great season this year. Granted, he was a little bit down last year, but he's getting to catch passes in this Josh Allen juggernaut during that same stretch, right? Cooper Cup actually has his point per game elevated to 26 because he was better in the actual playoffs than during the regular season. Devontae Adams, 20.7, Justin Jefferson, 20.2. Both of those guys at a scoring level that allows them to compete with the Uberbacks to be legitimate top five and even competitors to be the overall 101. Now, Devontae Adams wasn't that because of the switch to Derek Carr. We've witnessed some of the, the peaks and valleys there. We'll talk a little bit about that Colts-Raiders game in a moment. Obviously, he does pretty well again in Week 10, but... Those two guys over 20 points per game, and yet still, I mean, this massive margin behind Cup. You have Hill at 19.8, Debo Samuel 19.1, Chase 18.6, Stephon Diggs 18. I mean, we're talking about wide receivers who are playing ridiculously well, and the gaps between them and Cooper Cup are the same as the gaps between those guys and people that you wouldn't even really think about. And so... Again, what he has done here, as you mentioned, celebrating it is, I think, the correct response. But it is a devastating loss. There are some things in the article here kind of talking about last year to this year and how he's managed to only lose like 0.8 points per game, even though the offensive context has cratered. That part and a part on Justin Fields is above the paywall. So if we have any listeners who are kind of on the fence or just like, well, I can't read that. You can read that portion of it. There are some other things in the article that are below the paywall, but jump over there, read through. I mean, it's not going to come as any surprise as you're listening to the show, but just sort of fun to look at some of those notes. Column, uh, Cooper Cup, just absolutely magnificent. The rest of those guys too. I mean, having fantastic years, Justin Jefferson, what he did, we spent a big portion of the previous show on him. But even though this is an absolute dagger from a fantasy perspective, it's just it's still such a feel-good story overall that relatively late in his career. Now, he comes into the NFL at a relatively advanced age, having been for four years at a small school in college. He's very effective and productive with the Rams for a decent chunk of time. 
Obviously, you have Jared Goff there. They don't play him on every single snap, something that I'm sure they think is a little bit weird in retrospect. He's good, but not great. And then late in his career, he makes this jump. What are you kind of thinking going forward here in terms of dynasty for a 29-year-old wide receiver? We know that a lot of these guys will fall off, but we also know that even if you have a decline in scoring for Cup, as long as he's actually that it that comes simply because you can't maintain that scoring level. It's it just can't be done. But unless he collapses, he can still be a very interesting player for fantasy for a while now. Blair Andrews and I got an interesting offer in one of our Rotoviz Triflex leagues of Cooper Cup for Devontae Smith, who scores a touchdown last night, and a second-round pick. Now, the specific second-round pick that was requested could end up being the 201-202, especially in Superflex and especially in what is anticipated to be a good class. We probably wouldn't include that one. We have a variety of second-round picks. This is one of the leagues where we've used the perpetual reloading. We have a lot of firsts, a lot of seconds, a lot of thirds, so there are you know, a variety of ways we can go about this. Is something like Cooper Cup for Smith and a mid-second round pick something that you would consider in a dynasty league? Stating, for example, that maybe you have a ton of young depth and maybe you want to round that out a little bit with just a different kind of player, even if what that trade means is you're basically taking a guy where you feel comfortable just writing that value to zero whenever that zero evidently does come. Yeah, so there's a lot of different things in there. I think the force things force if you're content and are not content. And I think if you're on a team that is really primed to go for it this year and now you've lost Cooper Cup, I think getting Devontae Smith in there makes a lot of sense to to try and continue to propel that team forward. I think if you're in a team that is now really out of contention and you have an opportunity to get Cooper Cup for next season, I think that also makes a lot of sense. So it depends on the overall roster and and how things are looking this year. I think overall that offer is pretty pretty spot on to what i would be expecting for something like that the the key things here is he you mentioned he's 29 he will be age 30 as we enter next season so this season from a fantasy perspective is kind of as i mentioned probably completely done for him at this point so we're entering into the 2023 season he turns um 30 in june of next year so you're into age 30 but the one thing again when we're looking at players we're looking at how players recover from injuries, how players look after their bodies, and how careers at multiple positions are being uh, prolonged. Whether you know, obviously, quarterbacks only has been talked about the most. We're seeing wide receivers have more success in their careers later. The truly elite options at that. So, I do think, like we talked there about the numbers that he has had in the wide receiver one performances he's had throughout that stretch. Even if he has a, a drop off over the next two to three years. He's still going to be a high-end wide receiver too in, in all likelihood. So I, I still think he's somebody who's interesting. I'm interested though in your thoughts of what I mentioned there of the, the wide receivers that are moving into that 20, 29, 30, which was the range previously where you'd be really looking to move away from those guys, the likes of a Devontae Adams, for example. And, and now we're seeing those players be able to prolong their careers a little bit more. Are you willing to stretch out those windows or do you still think that it's a case of, that that age cliff is so unpredictable and most players are going to hit it and fall off that cup in this situation is somebody who maybe you want to avoid having on your roster heading into next season yeah it's it's very tricky and one of the things i think people 
need to focus on is the difference between the truly elite and the merely good. And at the NFL level, the merely good are obviously just ridiculous in their own right. But there is going to be a difference in the probabilities. Now, one of the issues with the age cliff is that we do mostly see collapses, right? We're not seeing these guys gradually decline. The situation with a Larry Fitzgerald, for example, somewhat unique. You're more likely to get what we're having with Michael Thomas, what we had with A.J. Green, what you have with so many of these receivers, and you have the risk of a Calvin Johnson situation where you get a retirement. All of those things are risks. And a lot of it depends on the balance of your roster, how deep your rosters are, how many young players you can re realistically stash. There was an interesting trade in the RV Triflex that Pat Corain and I are in just this last week as we head toward dynasty trade deadlines in a lot of different formats. You may be in a league that doesn't have a deadline or the deadline is even later, but week 11 tends to be fairly standard you know, maybe a week or two on either side, but week 11, fairly standard. So a lot of fantasy managers are going to have to make some tough choices this week. We saw a trade where DeAndre Hopkins, Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, and Miles Sanders went to a competing team. And the rebuilding team essentially got a first round pick and Deontay Johnson back. The first round pick, when you get it from a team that is competitive and now has added all this extra firepower, you're probably now looking at the 110 to the 112. In Superflex, that can still be very valuable. If this class ends up being as deep as many believe that it will be, that can still end up being very valuable. But as the draft process tends to develop and you get a sense of who those star quarterbacks are, or at least the ones who, again, have this range of outcomes that's skewed more in the direction of maybe high floor, high ceiling. They're more likely to be able to stick, and then if they stick, they're more likely to be able to score points that actually matter because of the hybrid profile. Those types of things, you get the landing spot. Once all of that develops, you have a separation. So it's not that all of these guys are in the same tier. You have a little bit of the same thing at running back. You have some of the same thing at wide receiver. You're going to have some guys elevated, some guys fall. But a lot of the elevated guys are going to bring some of the warts that you see from a Sky Moore, from a Christian Watson, from a George Pickens. And yeah, there are going to be some hits in there. It looks like George Pickens will be a hit, although right now the entire Steelers offense, I think you have to concede, is down. A week ago, maybe you say Christian Watson is going to be a miss. After what just happened, obviously there's room for a lot more enthusiasm. You could say, well, maybe next week is the Sky more hit that gets you more excited about him. Probably pretty unlikely, really, especially that Kadarius Tony is there now. So my concern would be that when you move a pick or players for a pick that now kind of locks into that, you know, 109, 110 to probably even like 111, 112 range, it's a very different story than if you were getting a 101 to the 104. And again, doesn't mean you can't hit there. I've done some articles showing that the 107 through the 112 has actually performed in a lot of ways, not that dissimilarly from the 101 to the 106, especially because historically, a lot of the top wide receivers went in that second half range. And then while maybe they didn't have those couple of peak seasons, especially early, 
that were able to to set off or to counterbalance an uber back the overall scoring level and the longevity made them a better overall dynasty asset for you so again there are going to be some balancing types of elements here but i just don't know that that first round pick is going to end up being worth that much and then deontay johnson where does he fit compared to a chris godwin those guys pretty even types of players godwin was definitely a buy low heading into last week and so i think that you know now that he's finally scored a touchdown people are concerned about the buccaneers and what their quarterback play will be next year you can understand that in light of so many wide receivers across the league being neutralized by poor quarterback play at the same time you have the jacoby Brissett situation where amari cooper even with the dud last week is doing fine you have the geno smith situation you think back to when Chris Godwin was the overall wide receiver too, and Jameis Winston, a guy who has been benched for Andy Dalton, was able to lead him to that kind of season. And so my recommendation there would be to continue to bet on talent, especially for a guy where, I mean, Godwin is still one of these players where you can potentially play him for a couple of years and then trade him in the way that you can trade a Devontae Adams, a DeAndre Hopkins. Now, the asterisk there would be how good is he going to be the next couple of years because again you have to be that true superstar to number one have confidence in how they're going to age across that 29 to 32 time period and then number two you've got to be that true superstar for fantasy managers to believe in it at all and be willing to pay and so maybe that is the difference the thing with godwin though is he does actually have a lot of very good banked years He's young enough, he's athletic enough, he's still drawing the targets even in down season to where you can see that bounce back. The person who is a huge buy low but might be worthless is Keenan Allen. He appears to be kind of going the route of some of these other guys. Not a big physical talent ever. A great route runner, an excellent wide receiver. We talk all the time about how athleticism in terms of how these players project tends to be overvalued instead of undervalued. It's overdrafted by NFL GMs. You, know, you watch a Tyreek Hill play and you understand why people want that, but still historically it has been overdrafted. Miles Sanders, someone who anytime you can get him as a throw-in, which is essentially what happens in this trade, he's not priced into it at all, then you want to take that because running back scoring can be so sparse. You put him in there, he has some big games, but even in a game last night where you kind of expect the Eagles to run, you expect them to win. You have these performances where number one they don't run that successfully number two they don't win number three he's not even necessarily the goal line back and so you can understand why the person selling didn't care that much about miles sanders leaving and yet you've got to kind of try and take advantage of those situations as the buyer like which players here probably will get thrown in what are your thoughts there i mean deontay johnson should bounce back but I mean, he may not be the wide receiver one in his own offense now, despite being basically the best target earner over the last several years. Johnson up there with Devontae Adams. Is Johnson and a late first round pick enough for Hopkins, especially coming off of those games these initially had? Allen, Godwin, Miles Sanders. Again, I do. I think it's down to the long term versus short term nature. I think, you know, if you're looking beyond this year, I think I want to have the Deontay Johnson side of it and if I'm looking to this year like the the way these offenses are playing out if you're if you're looking to win a championship in 2022 DeAndre Hopkins looks to be a player who's primed to get you there versus Deontay Johnson who is in an offense who I, I have seen 
glimmers of hope and it might only be one play or two plays at a time from Kenny Pickett but there's times to get excited about what the Steelers are doing and then there's times where you're like this is really tough so there is definitely growing pains happening and on that I'm going to peel it back to the Steelers and the Saints because Deontay Johnson again did lead the team in targets this week but it's only five targets what we've been so used to with Deontay Johnson over the last couple of years and for all the complaints we had with Ben Roethlisberger was the the volume of targets was usually in the double digits which led to you know eight to nine to ten catches every week and and then he was getting closer to those hundred yards it has been a little bit sporadic for the entire Steelers offense we know that Najee Harris is continuing to struggle in terms of efficiency but he did get 99 yards rushing this week but Kenny Pickett has a rushing touchdown of 51 yards on eight attempts we have Kenny or George Pickens who you mentioned getting in the end zone on a rush attempt two rushes for him 23 uh, yards then we have George Pickens himself with the four targets three receptions 32 so it's really spread around we have a lot of targets being spread around we have a lot of rushing attempts being spread around this offense it's hard to really know who's getting that consistent volume but I, I still long term have a a lot of faith in Deontay Johnson and I, I like most of the stuff I've seen from Pickett but it just hasn't been consistent enough and when the team runs 43 times it's going to be a little bit tricky uh, to make things work but they do they do win this one 22-10 in a game where Alvin Kamara has really kept quiet Chris Wallaby's kept pretty quiet any any takeaways from from this game Sean and do you think it is a case that we're going to have that those weeks with Pickens with Johnson where some weeks are going to hit some weeks are going to not hit at all and and most weeks are gonna be somewhere in the middle yeah i mean there are two very scary trends here in this game one is as you mentioned the 43 rush attempts the Steelers are very specifically trying to win this game against a poor saints team the the big fly in the ointment in the offseason we talked a lot about how really any quarterback projects to be at the very worst more or less the same as Ben Roethlisberger it's going to be difficult to go below that but what you could do is you could be similar and then lose a lot of the passing volume and that's the direction that we appear to be heading in the other part of it just the efficiency isn't there either I mean Kenny Pickett can't throw it 30 times and only have 199 yards and and no scores you can't have a game here where Pat Fryermuth and the tight ends lead the way just like on the Saints side you can't have a game where Jawan Johnson leads the way in targets even though both of those guys play all right especially Johnson who has 544 and one the defense is here pretty clearly knowing where each team's bread is buttered you have Chris Olave who's had such a fantastic rookie season the Steelers are able to shut him down only the five targets finish three for 40 there very easy to see how the saints lose this game if you can stop olave and stop alvin kamara as you mentioned then it's going to win i i'm surprised that Taysom hill is not a little bit more involved to give them some dynamism at the quarterback position you're in a lost season at least see what he can do i mean the saints would argue it's not really a lost season when you consider how bad the entire nfc south is (laughs) you're just a little bit behind the buccaneers so you have to follow the path that you think gives you the best chance to win i would say that this isn't it you mentioned on the Pittsburgh side when you have Jalen Warren with as many receptions and more receiving yards than George Pickens. That's not the direction that you want to go. When it's easy to say, okay, well, Deontay Johnson is not doing the normal things. He's not getting the job done. But especially if you're a big George Pickens believer at the same time, it's a similar problem there. And so both of these guys being limited now by this offense, 
you don't really want to see the two targets for Sims, two for Hayward, two for, or one for Olszewski, one for Gentry, one for Harris. And in part, you don't want to see those targets because those last seven targets that I mentioned go for a total of 28 yards. You need to get your actual players involved. And so I do expect the Steelers to do that going forward, but the pro picket thesis not looking particularly good right now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other player, Sean, that you mentioned uh, was Devontae Smith, who got in the end zone. That was in the Monday Night Football game for the Philadelphia Eagles. This was a, a pretty big shock. They do lose this one to the Commanders. It's 32-21 is the final score, but what, you know, a portion of those points are a kind of walk-in lateral touchdown at the, the last play of the game. So um, this was a, a big, big surprise as to how this turned out, and not a lot of fantasy excitement really to go around any of the the players in this i I think brian robson has a pretty solid outcome at the end of it with the 86 yards one touchdown off 26 carries but not very efficient overall terry mclaurin though continues to look much better with tyler heineke but tyler heineke also doesn't look great as a quarterback so with heineke 211 passing yards 128 of those going to terry mclaurin he gets 11 targets eight receptions but as you can tell with the the yardage total for heineke there's not a lot to go around after that um, curtis samuel the next highest with 28 receiving yards and again the other story sean i was going to say in this is a lot of people probably feel like me with the goddard fumble which should have been a, a penalty against the commanders so lots of things that happened here towards the end that i'm sure eagles fans are disappointed about but they are now eight and one but sean aj brown four targets one reception seven yards that was not something that people were anticipating heading into monday night football i'm sure there's a lot of people on that side of the coin where where that hurt them pretty bad too yeah you mentioned the goddard fumble if you were playing Devonte smith and lose because of his fumble on that final scramble play then 
you're going to be pretty frustrated if you lose to someone who's playing the commander's defense. And frankly, the people playing the commander's defense in redraft leagues, those are going to be few and far between, even with millions and millions and millions of fantasy managers and fantasy contests going on out there. Maybe you lose a game or lose ground to someone who has the commanders in best ball, but yeah, not a particularly great play by Smith there as they try for the miracle. Otherwise he had a solid type of game, although on eight targets, you really want him to get more than 39 yards. They've got to be able to attack down the field better. The storyline here, AJ Brown completely eliminated from this one. He has his lone catch early on and stumbles off. He plays quite a bit after that. Doesn't really look the same. I haven't heard anything column. I haven't seen any reports of the injury and he did, he did play after that. So it didn't seem to be linked, but yeah. And so hopefully nothing will spring up on the injury report this week for him. All of that non-contact type of stuff is just, so scary for both you know mostly for the real players but also for those of us watching he has a deep target later in the game where he's double teamed the ball actually gets through the two commanders gets to his hands and then he's not able to pull it in gets bounced back up and picked off that is the interception that hurts throws only 175 passing yards for Hertz in this one. He still finishes with a fine fantasy performance because he combines for three touchdowns, including a rushing score. Again, if you're Miles Sanders or Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott, you're disappointed that he's able to get the goal line score there. In fantasy, people are excited that that's two extra points on a rushing touchdown. You mentioned Heineke. He doesn't really do much for fantasy purposes. I do have him as someone that fills that kind of desperation role in Superflex on some of my actually quite good teams <laughs> where most of the value and most of the capital has been spent to load up at the other positions in those leagues. Colin, I've been joking with Ben that Taylor Heineke is... Not good? No, I mean, <laughs> Ben wants to insist because you know his stats aren't good. And if you watch him, he's not good. And the fact that the commanders are winning, that that's you know, sort of random, that he's not good. I, I've been making the case. I mean, look, it's, it's Heineke here. The, the moxie matters, right? I mean. I, I will give him credit. He, he has a little bit of that kind of Brett Favre competitive spirit in him, I guess. And the one thing I will say for him is he is not afraid to you know, take his shots when he's throwing it downfield and but I, I also think that there's a lot of errors in this game and there's probably a lot of plays being left out on the, the field as well. But it, he led his team to the W here and uh, he got that Kirk Cousins treatment on the flight back home with uh, all the, the rest of his team giving him all their chains. So he seemed to be enjoying life after Monday Night Football. Well, he celebrates the late hit, which oh. man, I, I wanted some more Jalen Hurts, some more Smith, the potential for an A.J. Brown long touchdown. But you could also understand it. I mean, the guy's down. You gotta, you gotta get yourself stopped. You gotta get to the side of him. You can't. I mean, I don't think the defensive players are thinking he's going to take a knee there. You know, it was a an, an interesting play, but I also think that he played it extremely well too. Like, you know, I watch a lot of soccer. There's soccer players who do not go down in the way that that Heineke was able to uh, crumple. Like, it was like he was made of, uh, you know. 
paper mache or something like that. That well, that dude is big, though. I mean, the first guy that hit him, they were going to let go because it was close Yeah, he enough. was giving him a, a gentle hug kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it's so hard on the defenders. I've never seen, like, the the personal foul, you know, or the kind of defenseless quarterback play where the quarterback instantly jumps up and is able to, you know, do the signal for the first down. Well, even if it didn't cause a problem, you know, it's still a, it's still a personal foul. His And, and that enthusiasm, I mean, obviously we're joking by saying that Heineke is good, but the enthusiasm and the willingness to take shots. One of the things here, how I was watching this game, because in the initial stretch, he actually played pretty well before he does some prototypical Heineke things, throws that interception to the safety you know, they got to lean on the run. They get super lucky, all of those kinds of things. They, they did lean on the run, though. They, they ran it 49 times, Sean. Yeah, I mean, NFL teams are basically capitulating. They're like, we can't, we can't throw against these defenses, so we'll just run into the line. One of the things that you see here in this game from an Eagles perspective is that you can have a good passing defense, but if you're not aggressive enough and if you can't make stops and you're not willing to go up and make stops, you leave yourself at risk of this type of game you look at the line here you look at the box and you say okay well heineke 17 for 29 211 yards 7.3 yards per attempt one interception three sacks i mean he did nothing the eagles have to win that game but the commanders created this environment in which they could get lucky Right, they do your prototypical old school football thing where like managing the chains managing the chains staying on third and short and then you get lucky on third down, lucky on third down, lucky on third down. Is that a sustainable recipe for success? No. But if you're the power team, if you are the undefeated Eagles, you have to go out there and make some plays. And, I mean, they seemed more or less entitled to win this game by simply creating third downs as opposed to going out there and making some plays. I mean, the most energy you saw in terms of the pass rush is on that final play where they commit the personal foul. You, you just have to go and actually take the game away. I think that's one of the things that's a little bit frustrating, again, from kind of a fan's perspective, watching these games, is that the style of football that's being played in 2022 is ultra boring. And it also allows some of these bad teams to stay in games. There's one thing to say, okay, well, we actually played good pass defense. We did the thing that makes sense analytically. You know, we were joking on the show last week about the Colts owner and this idea that, you know, they're going to stop doing things the right. smart way and that's going to lead to victory. Like anytime that your leader comes out and says, you know, we're going to start doing low percentage kinds of things and that's going to lead us to a championship. You're like, well, I kind of don't think so, but you can understand where he's coming from watching these games. Where he's like, I want our team to play what people would consider real football. It's like, go out there and attack, make some stops. This was a hard game to watch last night. If you're a fantasy manager, it's a hard game to watch if you are an Eagles fan because you let a completely inferior team dictate the course of play. It's one thing if you're playing against a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or a peak Aaron Rodgers, or a peak Tom Brady, or a player like that. When you're playing against Heineke, go make some plays. <laughs> All right, you can't sit back there and let Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson pick you apart one play at a time. Go make some plays. Yeah, and that actually, I'm just thinking this now as a, a Packers fan who 
I mentioned they kind of dragged me back in with their win at the weekend. I was like, mm, how can they make the playoffs? And just as we were talking through this game, I realized that the Commanders are now five and five, so they're a couple of games ahead of the Packers. So we're trying to we're trying to catch up with those guys. So we'll see how that goes. Also, a bad result for Packers fans out there as well. Sean, a couple of games we're going to hit on here pretty quickly, but the one we're going to start with is the Broncos Titans. This you know Broncos football hasn't been. A lot of fun this season, I guess, and uh, the Titans do get back Ryan Tannehill in this game. A little bit more going through the passing game. The the positive news I was excited about was that Traylon Burks came off injured reserve this week. He does suit up. He just has the three receptions. He does get six targets, and that was the second highest on the roster or on the team this week. Twenty four receiving yards. The big takeaway here, I guess, for the Titans is Nick Westbrook. Akine had eight targets, two touchdowns, five receptions and 119 yards so a, a big day for him but I'm, I'm sure there'll be some players you know with bye weeks not that may have had him slotted in there but not somebody that we're expecting that from moving forward but really nothing you know going strong for for Denver still we get Sutton with 11 targets he gets six receptions 66 yards obviously that comes without Jerry Judy being in the lineup with Greg Dulcich gets four targets just 11 yards off one reception and then Virgil gets the long touchdown, 66 yards. So one target, one reception, one touchdown, 66 yards. What were some of your takeaways from this? Or is there is there a huge amount to talk about outside of the, the Judy injury? This was rough, right? At some point, I think most of us expected Russell Wilson to bounce back at least mildly because even if you didn't know what Russell Wilson had been like in the future, you would expect any reasonable starting quarterback to play a little bit better, even if that player is not a former star. But each week, it, it continues to confirm that he's done. And so I think the biggest takeaway here is that Russell Wilson now has maybe the worst contract in NFL history, right? 2023, $22 million cap hit. 2024, $35.4 million. 2025, $55.4 million. There's a potential out after that. But with the potential out comes $31 million more in dead cap. The, I mean, the yearly cash so the money he's actually making for these years 28 million next year 39 million in 24 37 million in 25 40 million in 26 45 million in 27 50 million in 28 those i mean those parts of the contract are gonna not make it but you're gonna have to deal with the salary cap elements of this this turned out to be an all-time great trade for the seattle seahawks and I think now, even though there are differences in age between the two quarterbacks, when you look at the amount of time that Deshaun Watson has had to sit, you look at the amount of focus that's going to be on him for things outside of football, you look at the relatively limited weapons that he has, there are more potential shoes to drop in terms of these quarterbacks and their guaranteed contracts that could hamstring teams for a long, long time. In this one... This is just a hard game to even get through. I wouldn't expect that too many non-Broncos or Titans fans have watched it. 
I forced myself to do that last night on shortcuts. And I mean, you're almost pinching yourself to like keep focused and, and try and keep the plays apart because this game is so tragic. And so, I mean, from that perspective, there's not a lot to take. Melvin Gordon struggles again. Latavius Murray doesn't give anything. Chase Edmonds in his game, first game with the Broncos, gets two carries for nine yards. You have Wilson scrambling seven times for a total of eight yards. Cortland Sutton is the big focal point after you lose Judy, but he's not able to do anything. You have Dulcich, and this was a disappointing game here because he looked dynamic early, gets open, draws some targets early. They're not quite able to connect. Again, a little bit of a Russell Wilson problem there. And then as a result, they go away from him, and so you don't get the big game from him that a lot of fantasy managers were desperately hoping for with the tight end position being one of such focus, because if you do manage to get some scoring there, then you separate yourself from not only your opponent, but also the rest of the league. We'll hope to see a bounce back from him next week. But, you know, after scoring those 10 points in the second quarter, the Broncos never really challenge. And to go that long in the game and put nothing up, it just it allows the Titans a lot of different ways that they can win this. Derrick Henry... 2.8 yards per attempt. I watched this game and I immediately was thinking about the discussion that Ben and I had on Stealing Bananas last week when we did our 2023 first two round projections. Obviously, we don't have Henry in the first round next year, even though going into week 10, his numbers for 2022 had been fantastic again, right? So this is the type of game that worries you. This is the type of outcome you can get when teams only have to stop him I broke down all of the big wide receivers from this week in the Monday article as well. That is the part that's behind the paywall. But looking at all of the peripherals with the air yards, weighted opportunity, how those things kind of work in terms of what the total mix is, I don't think it's surprising to any listeners that Westbrook Akine was the guy there who doesn't really have any fantasy value going forward watching the game you see that his second touchdown was this really cool play that is a flea flicker and within the the context of all of these games this weekend that were disappointing from a fan perspective to have the titans pull out a trick play and have it work so beautifully a long touchdown off of that the titans as a run heavy team and a defensively oriented team you could say I mean, this is among the group that unless you're a Titans fan, this probably isn't one of your favorite teams. But I think if you look at what they did last week, competing with Kansas City without their starting quarterback, you look at how well their defense plays, the aggressiveness, you think about some of the things that they're willing to do off of Derrick Henry. This Titans team, you got to give a lot of credit. I think this is kind of a fun one, even though, you know, it's not that Chiefs or Bills juggernaut type of offense. So we'll see what happens with the Titans moving forward. Sean, you mentioned the Colts and the, the coaching scenario. They get a W, 25-20 to 20 against the Raiders. They are 2-7 and seven now. That is the Oakland Raiders. They continue to struggle. They struggled through this game. They've struggled through the entire season. And, and this felt like potentially rock bottom for them. With some big fantasy days or prominent fantasy days, it will be good for drafters. And that was Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. Jonathan Taylor has a monster 66-yard rushing touchdown in this that leads the Colts to victory. What were your key takeaways from, from this one? Well, that the main guys 
were able to get involved. So you think about all of these games this weekend where defenses actually did take away the best guys. Yeah. I mean, we saw some of the stars wiped out this week, which really hasn't been the story of 2022. When you think about those first couple rounds and how well those players have produced teams have been so desperate for any type of offense that they've gotten their stars involved. And while it wasn't the case across the board in week 10, it was the case in this one. You see the 22 carries for Jonathan Taylor, but it really comes down to the big play, right? He's bottled up completely by the Raiders, except for that run. And for those of us who are big Jonathan Taylor fans, it was just such a relief that he's back and playing that the ankle injury that he has doesn't appear to be as significant as the one that limited DeAndre Swift this season the one that completely derailed the comeback for Saquon Barkley last season. And then just part of the problem that the Colts have had, and one of the reasons that the coaching staff, the head coach, Frank Reich, gets fired, is that Taylor hadn't been able to break those big plays. He does it in this one. You see the long speed, and that wins the game. I mean, that really ends up being the difference. They battle to a draw. Otherwise, it was a big relief, too, to see Matt Ryan. We have talked about the issues that he has and how the arm strength is gone. And yet, even with that being the case, it provides a foundation off of which you can create a big play for Taylor. It creates a foundation off of which you get this game from Paris Campbell, where he was someone over the first month. And I think that in many ways, that was the biggest surprise for me with the Colts is that you have a former early pick for this team he's an underneath type of threat and that's exactly what matt ryan needs if he's going to thrive if you're going to be the very very late career kurt warner for example you know you can barely throw the ball across the line of scrimmage you've got to get the ball in the hands of an underneath receiver with speed and that's what campbell was drafted to be that's what he was supposed to be this year you had a lot of really positive notes out of training camp on him and, and people are skeptical of that because of all of the injuries and the way he's never really done anything and then the season starts and the focus is on michael pittman which again you can understand but for pittman to really do what his advocates want to see and for this offense to get first downs and then be able to hand off at a high rate to jonathan taylor you just don't have that much margin you have to have these safety valve types of plays to a player like Campbell. He's got to be able to convert those third downs and keep the drives going. This is the type of game here that the Colts want to see. And so I'm sure Ursay is thinking to himself, yeah, I mean, this is what I signed up for and my decision-making was perfect there. I, I don't necessarily think that the Colts will be able to sustain this, but if you do have Ryan in place and if you have Campbell to complement Pittman, I mean, Pittman gets the nine targets. He doesn't really do anything with him. It's a disappointing game for him. He's had a mildly disappointing season. But now that Ryan is back, it's possible that Pittman could go off for a couple of games to where he would get back that scoring level that would more or less justify where he was picked. So I think that that portion of the question is still pretty open-ended. If you're a Colts fan, if you're a Taylor Campbell Pittman fan, I think you have to love what happened in this game. But again, we love to see the big play, Jonathan Taylor breaking that touchdown run. That, for me, was the highlight of Week 10. And on the other side, you get 14 more targets for Adams. He catches the ball, crossing the field, breaks into the open. The first thing that you think is, that, okay, this is one of those plays like a week ago where it's a completely broken defense and he's going to just walk into the end zone. 
And then the perspective shifts and you see there are actually a couple of guys who have the end zone walled off and he's going to be stopped. We don't necessarily think of Adams as this you know, big receiver. We don't necessarily think of him as an elite athlete. I'm not saying people will think of him as the opposite of that, just that those aren't the first things you think of. You think of the route running, you think of the late hands and the ability to not telegraph to the defensive back when the pass is actually coming. You think of all those perfect Aaron Rodgers passes of the style that he threw to Christian Watson this last weekend. But Adams announced himself to the Colts defense in this game and reminded people that he is a big dude and that he, number one, you don't get to the level that he's gotten if you don't really want it. And then he has some athleticism there because those guys look like they have got him walled off and that they're going to push forward and the two of them will make the hip and make the stop. And Adams slashes through slash bowls those guys over scores a touchdown and we think about all the times that justin jefferson has been stopped at the one inch line in his career Devonte adams was not going to be denied on that particular play and it was a perfect way to cap off another great game for him 9 126 and one Derek carr struggles badly again in this game as he has through the whole season they lose josh jacobs is held to less than four yards per carry but from a fantasy perspective, things more or less worked out because you get the two touchdowns for Carr, you get the touchdown for Jacobs, you get this game from Adams. The chart, the Raiders fall to two and seven. They've got a lot of work to do. But if you have a Devontae Adams, you have a piece that you can build off here. I mean, this is the guy who, and this is in not any way to say this is okay or, or not a big deal, but you know, when they lost the game earlier in the season, they had a shot at, and he has the confrontation with the reporter. I mean, Devontae Adams is bringing fire to this roster. It's exciting to watch him play. Going to the Las Vegas Raiders did not end his career. He is still an absolute superstar. He is, but the <laughs> they are 2-7, and seven, which is not a good thing. Um, and also, I did see Derek Carr talking after the game, quite emotional, and it, you know, it feels like that that might have been a breaking point for this team so hopefully they'll they'll continue to play it out the rest of the way we'll see what happens sean you mentioned jonathan taylor being the highlight of the week then you mentioned justin jefferson there shortly after i was thinking sean forget about justin jefferson's catch this week or maybe it was a case that you've realized that the defensive back helped him to catch it but we'll find out about that more later later in the week but uh the last game we have to head on is the 49ers and the chargers the 49ers win 22 to 16 sean this game more than any game kind of felt like the theme that you've talked about about the big players getting stifled in different ways we had christian mccaffrey getting the end zone not a big day from him austin eckler not a big day from him brant nayuk has a solid day but no touchdown to go along to push it over the edge we get debo samuel has six targets with just two for 24 we get george kettle with two targets one for 21 so this game that we probably thought could be like this shootout with a lot of fantasy goodness it wasn't that very much excitement on Sunday Night Football. Yeah. I, this one frustrating in basically every possible way, right? Because you have, number one, the reminder that in 2022, with the style of defense the teams are playing, I think even more than in the past, you're going to get some of this back and forth to where every week is going to appear to give you new information. We really thought and were excited about 
Christian McCaffrey joining the 49ers and what that could mean for him. And he does have six targets in this game. You could argue that if they trailed more late, that he would have been even more involved from the passing game. But they're down at halftime. Their defense does come out and shut out the Chargers. In the second half, you can say, well, partly what they did on offense, all the running plays helped that outcome to occur. But you don't know that you're going to stop Justin Herbert. You don't know that you're going to stop Austin Eckler. You have a better idea if the player who leads in targets is Eckler because the receiver who leads in targets is Josh Palmer, who's having trouble catching the ball. You know, you have Gerald Everett go out with a groin injury after he catches a couple of early passes and is pretty fired up. That part disappointing. They've got players out there like Trey McKitty getting six targets. So you can say, yeah, they didn't have any of their players. We thought we were going to stop them. We wanted to shorten the game. But as much as Kyle Shanahan obviously deserves all of the credit for taking his team deep into the playoffs a number of times, for being at least part of the brain trust that's built such a powerhouse team for continually leading them back after they had all the issues early in the season to where they're now they're five and four and especially in the nfc that looks like it's gonna lead in the direction of a very good overall outcome probably still the favorites in the nfc west with the seahawks losing this week but this is an embarrassing game right you have christian mccaffrey brandon Ayuk, debo samuel George Kittle in you're running the ball 41 times because you can't get anything going. But Jimmy Garoppolo is playing his way out of being a quarterback in the NFL in the future. If they don't trust you with those types of weapons, you you can't play. You you get two passes for 24 yards to Debo Samuel there. I mean, part of it's got to be on Debo. He's got to catch more than two of his four targets, but we know what Debo Samuel is in George Kittle. Probably the best tight end in the entire NFL. Two targets. Now, we know what he brings, that he's an elite blocker. He is an enthusiast for life and for the 49ers. So he's not the kind of guy who's going to be sitting around looking across the league to Travis Kelsey and saying, you know, what might have been or or, uh, I could be that guy. And yet, I mean, it's got to be a little bit tough, right? We have no exposure to George Kittle Obviously, we have exposure to a different tight end who's not doing particularly well. The guys outside of Travis Kelsey have been massive, epic busts. That includes Darren Waller, who kind of appears to be done. I mean, he's into that Michael Thomas, A.J. Green phase of his career where the body just looks to be gone. We know, obviously, Waller, not a young player. But for Pitts and Waller and Kittle and all of these guys to bust, and in the 49ers situation, them not even make an attempt to use him, it's just hard to fathom what they're doing here. And a little bit like we talked about with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers' unwillingness to build a team, to develop a team that could actually be successful. And you mentioned him you know, yelling at his head coach about running the ball. It's like, you know, you're the two-time MVP and your coach is trying to build a team that can make a run and make the playoffs, and you want to hand off. So again, it's it's about a loser mentality versus a winner mentality. I don't think that running the ball 41 times here is going to put the 49ers in position to win the NFC and to compete with teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills. You can say, well, the Bills lost to 
an opponent they probably shouldn't have lost to, even though I mean, I think the Vikings have probably been overly criticized. The Vikings have a lot of different weapons there. It's an upset, but not a shock for them to do that. One of the reasons why the Vikings maybe are overperforming some of their peripherals is that they know that their good players are Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, whereas the 49ers don't seem to know who their good players are. Brandon Ayuk does actually have a pretty decent game, and he does drop a touchdown. So from the perspective of like Jimmy Garoppolo and his numbers and what you're trying to do on offense, you say all that maybe changes a little bit if Ayuk just catches that touchdown. But as fantasy enthusiasts, we want to see these games go a little bit differently from a fantasy perspective. But I do think it's relevant that I mean, you just you need to use your guys. This game makes absolutely no sense. You should not be in a 22 to 16 game with a Chargers team that doesn't have their players. That's a bad result for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, and you mentioned that the you know the Vikings know who their good players are, and I think that's because their good players are very obvious. I think sometimes with the 49ers, I think they have so many good players at so many different positions, and they just decide that they're not, they're not going to use any of them. So, um, yeah, a, a disappointing result here. And it was interesting to hear Sean there, you know, get, get a shot in at Aaron Rodgers in, in some potential way. Um, well, you were the one who was mentioning it from the the show the other night. I just we can't both be positive about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that would just not work out. We have to to both have a, a different side. But have some respect for your teammates and coaches. I just I, I do think that the Packers have been much better when they are running the ball more. The, like, I, but I don't want them to run it. You know, seventy two times a game like some teams want to to do it at the moment. But throw the ball to Sammy Watkins. Is that what you're saying? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Sammy Watkins not 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 very good at this moment in time in the the NFL. But Sean. That is going to do it for today's show, a fun show. We covered a lot of ground, and um, hopefully people have enjoyed listening in to it. Sean mentioned his article. That portion of it is available for everyone to read. There's some of it behind the paywall. That will be linked in today's show notes, so you can check that out if you haven't done so already. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Wire and WinBet, and my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland, and of course, you can check out Sean's work up on rotoviz.com. Until we are back with our third show on Thursday... Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.